You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. CISA, FEMA, and Shields Ready. Ransomware operators exploit third-party tools. A Bittrex bankruptcy phishing campaign. Spammers abuse Google Forms quizzes. Imperial Kitten in action against Israeli targets. Iranian cyber attacks against Israel are called reactive and opportunistic. In our sponsored Industry Voices segment, Adam Bateman from Push Security outlines how attackers are targeting cloud identities. Luke Vanderlinden from the RHISAC speaks with Target's Ryan Miller and Leah Schwartzman about the evolving fraud landscape retailers are facing with the holidays approaching. And Sandworm and Ukraine's power grid. 2022 attacks may foreshadow the winter of 23 and 24. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Thursday, November 9th, 2023. This week, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the Federal Emergency Management Agency launched Shields Ready, a sustained national campaign to increase the security and resilience of America's critical infrastructure. Shields Ready complements CISA's Shields Up campaign. According to FEMA, Shields Ready focuses more broadly and strategically on how to prepare critical infrastructure for a potential disruption and how to build more resilience into systems, facilities, and processes by taking action before a crisis or incident even occurs. The approach encourages critical infrastructure operators to focus on things they can do to drive down risk. First, identify critical assets and map deficiencies. Next, assess risks. Third, plan and exercise. And finally, adapt and improve. Threats to critical infrastructure aren't purely theoretical risks. A bit later, we'll see how they've played out in one of the hybrid wars currently troubling an unhappy world. The FBI has issued a private industry notification outlining recent trends in ransomware attacks, specifically ransomware actors exploiting vulnerabilities in vendor-controlled remote access to casino servers and companies victimized through legitimate system management tools to elevate network permissions. The Bureau says the FBI continues to track reporting of third-party vendors and services as an attack vector for ransomware incidents, Between 2022 and 23, the FBI noted ransomware attacks compromising casinos through third-party gaming vendors. The attacks frequently targeted small and tribal casinos, 
encrypting servers and the personally identifying information of employees and patrons. Scammers are using the bankruptcy of the crypto trading platform Bittrex as fishbait, abnormal security warns. The phishing emails targeted former customers of Bittrex, informing them that they still have more than $1,000 stored on the platform that they'll need to withdraw before Bittrex shuts down. The researchers think the timing of the phishing campaign was no accident. The bankruptcy court approved Bittrex's requests to shut down its U.S. operations on Monday, October 30th. That action and the date were foreseeable and probably appeared in the court docket. Crooks can read dockets as well as anyone, and they probably used that information to determine that October 23rd was the best day to begin their criminal campaign. As always, fear, uncertainty, dread, and urgency make the best chum for fishing. In another case of phishing, Cisco Talos researchers report a spike in the abuse of the release results feature of Google Forms quizzes. It's a way of getting spam sent from trusted Google servers and so increasing the likelihood that the spam message will find its way through many screens and filters that would have otherwise flagged it as suspect. Turning to the hybrid war in Israel and Gaza, CrowdStrike describes a series of cyber attacks that targeted Israeli organizations in the transportation, logistics, and technology sectors last month. CrowdStrike's researchers attribute the campaign to the Iran-aligned threat actor Imperial Kitten. Imperial Kitten is believed to be associated with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and likely fulfills Iranian strategic intelligence requirements associated with IRGC operations. In this case, Imperial Kitten used spear phishing emails to deliver several strains of malware via malicious Excel documents, including IMAP loader and standard keyboard. It's beyond dispute that Tehran supports Hamas and that Iran acts against Israel in cyberspace. But support, a coincidence of interests and even sponsorship, doesn't guarantee or amount to coordination in cyberspace. A study by Microsoft finds that Iranian cyber attacks against Israeli targets have been reactive and opportunistic, not forming part of an integrated campaign developed in cooperation with Hamas. There have been many suggestions in the media and elsewhere that Iran's government was involved with the planning and even execution of Hamas's attacks on October 7th, at least insofar as cyber support for the operation is concerned, that seems not to have been the case. Microsoft says, We do not see any evidence suggesting Iranian groups had coordinated pre-planned cyber attacks aligned to Hamas's plans on the start of the Israel-Hamas war on October 7th. In fact, Iranian operations took a week and a half before they began cyber attacks that can be construed as support for Hamas. Microsoft says, Observations from Microsoft telemetry suggest that, at least in the cyber domain, Iranian operators have largely been reactive since the war began, exploiting opportunities to try and take advantage of events on the ground as they unfold. It took 11 days from the start of the ground conflict before Microsoft saw Iran enter the war in the cyber domain. Redmond also notes that Iran has remained true to its familiar playbook, which always includes influence in its calculus of effects, stating, Microsoft observes Iranian operators continuing to employ their tried-and-true tactics, notably exaggerating the success of their computer network attacks 
and amplifying those claims and activities via a well-integrated deployment of information operations. This is essentially creating online propaganda seeking to inflate the notoriety and impact of opportunistic attacks in an effort to increase their effects. Mandiant has released a study of Sandworm's cyber attacks against Ukraine's electrical power grid last year. Sandworm, also known as Voodoo Bear, is a threat actor operated by the GRU's Unit 74455. Mandiant wrote, While we were unable to identify the initial access vector into the IT environment, Sandworm gained access to the OT environment through a hypervisor that hosted a supervisory control and data acquisition management instance for the victim's substation environment. Based on evidence of lateral movement, the attacker potentially had access to the SCADA system for up to three months. Those three months of preparation culminated in the exploitation on October 10, 2022, of end-of-life Hitachi Energy micro-SCADA control systems that brought the affected systems under sandworm control and which enabled the attackers to issue commands that tripped breakers in electrical power distribution substations. Two days later, Sandworm deployed a new variant of Caddy Wiper, discovered in Ukraine the previous March by ESET, which served both to damage the associated IT networks and to obscure its own operations. The attack was marked by living off the land techniques, significant because they decreased the time and resources required to conduct a cyber-physical attack and because they reduced the likelihood of detection. The Russian campaign stands out for several reasons. First, it was a successful attack against a widely deployed OT system. Such attacks have been rare and have proven difficult to execute. Second, the cyber attacks coincided with a kinetic Russian missile campaign designed to cripple Ukrainian infrastructure as winter approached. Such coordination of cyber attack into a combined arms operation has also been rare and difficult for Russian forces to achieve. Third, the attack showed both careful preparation and an ability to develop offensive tools quickly. And finally, the attack showed what Russia is likely to attempt in its infrastructure disruption campaign during the winter of 2023 and 24. And of course, there's no reason to think any campaign against infrastructure will be entirely confined to Ukraine. Russia's cyber auxiliaries have shown a willingness to pester any country they perceive as sympathetic to Ukraine, and there's no reason to assume that the GRU's regulars will constrain their operations to the combat zone proper. No reason to panic, but as CISA would say, shields up and shields ready. Coming up after the break, Adam Bateman from Push Security outlines how attackers are targeting cloud identities. Luke Vanderlinden from the RHISAC speaks with targets Ryan Miller and Leah Schwartzman about the evolving fraud landscape retailers are facing with the holidays approaching. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. 
Designed by Identity Architects for Identity Architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. everybody want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor splunk you know you need to keep operations humming around the clock but potential disruptions are everywhere splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime the world's largest enterprises rely on splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient resilient and innovative With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. We've seen an uptick in attacks against organizations in the cloud, with notable targets like MGM, 23andMe, and even Okta themselves. Adam Bateman is co-founder and CEO at Push Security, and in this sponsored Industry Insights segment, he explains how attackers are targeting cloud identities and what it means for the industry. We talk a lot about the identity perimeter, which has become a very, very hot topic, um, which is really any... Identity is really online accounts, um, but anywhere that's internet-facing, um, and, and that's now the new company attack surface. And um, attacks here, they've really been happening for quite a long time, um, but because of the fact that awareness of these types of attacks and detection capability for these types of attacks have not been you know, as strong as they are in other places, it's been happening a little bit more under the radar. Uh, and I think much more recently, and even in the last three months, we've seen a real spike in much more publicly facing kind of attacks, things that have happened. So we saw obviously MGM Resorts, um, recently saw Retool, like the automation application, uh, even Okta themselves. And there's not as much detail around that, but it looks like it was a target attack against a support system, which you know could well be SaaS. Um, yeah, and different things like that. So We've noticed uh, attackers really trending in this direction and, and targeting not just SaaS applications and using the information inside those SaaS applications to gain deeper access into company networks, but also targeting just directly the SSO uh, logins themselves, which once you gain access to, then gives you downstream access to all of the company's most sensitive applications behind that. Can you walk us through how these attacks are typically carried out? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, they, for the most part, it's not to do with vulnerabilities in the platforms themselves. So it's not 
a exploit against a patchable bug that's happening in a SaaS application or in an SSO provider. Uh, even though those things do happen, the ones that have been you know, more grabbing the headlines have, have just been attacks that result in the attacker logging in. So social engineering, uh, phishing, the classic things you've seen, but also password-based attacks like credential stuffing or brute force attacks and password spraying and those sorts of things. Um, and I think in, in the last part, we recently saw the breach against uh, 23andMe, which obviously had sensitive information on uh, lots of individuals. And the attack there, the attacker took a leaked password from a prior breach and just sprayed that across all the different accounts against 23andMe and managed to gain access to those attacks um, over, over time. And that was against a B2C app, so it hit the headlines because of personal data and because of massive account compromise. But exactly the same is possible for any B2B app. Um, arguably, it's kind of more high impact against a B2B app because with a B2C app, you're in a position where the, the vendor hosts that, but each person or each individual has their own account with their own data in it. And so in order for you to get access to lots of data, you need to compromise lots of accounts. But with a B2B app, generally speaking, the company has a tenant. And so for the attacker doing that kind of password-based attack, you only actually often need one valid account and you gain access to the entire tenant. Uh, Sure, there are different access levels in it. You could be admin or not. But generally speaking, if your goal is to get access to sensitive data, you can stop once you get access to one credential, and then you can uh, you can use that from from there. Um, and so those sorts of attacks are, are super easy to to conduct. What are your recommendations then? I mean, how can defenders uh, best protect themselves against this? For the industry in general, I, I think it's important to recognise that this is kind of an era change. Like I talk about this quite a lot. I think the first era change was when people said. The perimeter is dead. And, and really what they meant was it was marking the change between attackers targeting your traditional infrastructure perimeter through to then instead targeting endpoints. And we're now in a position where people have, uh, you know, the new phrase is identities are the new perimeter, and that's marking the shift from attackers shifting from endpoints to attacking the cloud. And so at the moment, all of the effort has gone into network and endpoint monitoring and defensive controls for this particular area it's just much thinner, uh, which is you know, why we're seeing attackers go there. And the attacks are much less understood. So I think as an industry, we really need to start paying attention to this. Like we are push, uh, doing a lot of research and pushing out all the novel ways that we're seeing these attacks can, can happen to help um, open and shine a light on this so that people can be prepared. Um, but I think the other thing is that actually it lowers the barrier to entry for these adversaries. Now, I'm not saying by any means that these attackers aren't skilled. They are very, very skilled. But what I mean is, if I was going to go and attack in a company like I did in my red team days, you used to have to go to a lot of effort to set up custom um, command and control server, and then you know set up clever malware that you could use, which would evade EDR, and you know clever ways to tunnel traffic back up back out of the network. You need to understand a lot, and and if you're really getting advanced, you need to write custom exploits and understand about Windows internals and those sorts of things. And the thing is about these SaaS-based attacks is really what you need is very, very good sysadmin skills and the ability to think outside the box. I mean, the attacks are novel, but you're not sort of going deep into the Windows kernel to make them happen, right? It's phishing, social engineering, password attacks, and then knowing how to configure and leverage the functionality of those applications you go in. 
So I think really the the lack of understanding of, of the industry plus the lowering of the barrier to, to entry is is a recipe. It's something that we need to pay attention to. I think finally the the attacks can become more opportunistic. If you think about things like credential stuffing against 23andMe, you find you find that more companies were just get caught in the crossfire. They became rather than being targeted, you can just sort of spray across lots of people's SSO login pages or lots of people's SaaS applications to see what you find. And then once you've gained access, you can uh, go deeper into the network there. So as an industry, I think it's just uh, an area that we need to continue to focus on and, and help develop our understanding of this area. In terms of technical controls, um, I mean, all these novel attacks uh, are interesting, but most of our customers are finding the most value from, from our platform, at least, and, and the data that we're seeing because of the fact that they know how to configure their identities so they're secure with unfishable MFA and with strong passwords and everything else. But they sort of think they're in a secure state, but they're not. So often they'll deploy the platform and we'll just suddenly go, oh, wow, because of this configuration error or, or uh, because someone had just disabled a control temporarily for testing or for compatibility, that actually there's an exposure. Uh, and so I think one thing is just really understand the state of your current identities. You've, you know, Make sure they are at the right level of control. And, and really what you want to be aiming for is MFA, but phishing-resistant MFA. So hardware-based if you can and if you can afford it, both in terms of you know the cost required to actually implement that, but also the time. Um, and making sure that people are continually trained around sort of social engineering attacks. Uh, and, and finally, I would say in terms of technical controls, to extend detection and response that we do on the network world into this SaaS world and make sure that we're actually able to discover and get visibility into some of the attacks that are happening there. That's Adam Bateman, co-founder and CEO at Push Security. Luke Vanderlinden is host of the RHISAC podcast, and in his most recent episode, he spoke with Target's Ryan Miller and Leah Schwartzman about the evolving fraud landscape retailers are facing with the holidays approaching. We are joined by two members of uh, Target's cybersecurity team, Ryan Miller and Leah Schwartzman. Can you talk to us a little bit about the evolving fraud landscape that retailers are facing these days? Yeah, so I'm sure a lot of people have heard on news ORC we're seeing, you know, stores getting hit with these organized attacks um, across uh, the country at this point. And so, you know, that's not a victimless crime in that sense. You know, us, we want to protect our guests. And that goes beyond just the in, in-store fraud that we're seeing. Threat actors are evolving. These rings are organized. And so there's a cyber approach to investigating and mitigating this type of fraud. And so threat actors, they are, you know, organizing across mainstream social media. You know, a lot of people might come across on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook these groups that look suspicious that are advertising, recruiting, or selling different fraud methods. And that's really escalating these threat actors in communicating with one another. Similar to how we are communicating via social media with our friends and family, threat actors are doing the same. And that's taking what used to be a very central um, organized group where they may have to go to their local pawn shop to sell the merchandise to this global um, economy that they can buy and sell merchandise online. And with sites like eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, the ability to monetize stolen goods in a very quick way, very anonymously, has led to this increase in um, crime opportunities for these threat actors. 
we just took a holistic approach to fraud within um, our organization. And, we, you know, the, the decision was made to bring uh, fraud under our security umbrella. And so with that was the evolution of threat intelligence and specialization to focus on fraud intelligence. Um, you know, and really it, um, it became a, a, you know, a need for us to understand that threat landscape, right? We need to understand what the threat actors are doing so we can defend against what those threat actors are doing. With the same concepts of how we track phishing and malware and, you know, APT groups, we need to ap- apply that to fraud. So if you don't have dedication there, right, it becomes this secondhand approach, which a lot of, um, you know, Intel teams, I think, are initially set up like that. So as the landscape evolved, as fraud became more prominent, as as we decided to take a, a stronger look into that from a security perspective, we had to dedicate fraud analysts to uh, Intel analysts to to really look at that Intel and pull it into the organization. Yeah, we really aren't reinventing the wheel here. We are using that standardized collection and methodology that traditional CTI teams are focusing on and just mapping that to fraud. And that's going to look very different dependent on your organization what experiences that you have for your guests. Nowadays, with all these omni-channel experiences, guest pickup, drive up, same-day delivery, although that's great for our guests, it's also exposing us to opportunity for threat actors to abuse those systems. And so leveraging what you know about your own internal environment, we know our environment better than anyone else. So leveraging those business partners outside of security to really understand how their systems flow, you know, what point are, you know, our guests seeing this, how are guests impacted by different decisions that we make, and then taking that externally to say, okay, are we seeing any discussion of threat actors talking about these bypasses, these abilities to commit fraud against us in these variety of different ways? And that really is standard intelligence collection that can be applied to fraud. And once you gain that that initial collection, it'll start flowing in. You know, there's an endless pool of of chatter out there of methods being sold, guides, threat actors talking about it. So once you establish that initial collection from a fraud perspective, you're going to start to get that actual intelligence to share with your business teams. And I'll just chime in that, um, you know, it, within the within the threat landscape, we're seeing the lines being blurred, right? Like cybercrime is crossing over into fraud, vice versa, right? Like the handoff is not, um, it's you know, it's not separate anymore. Um, and so by having a dedicated fraud analyst uh, as well as a, a traditional threat intelligence analyst share the same platforms, the same tools, the same services, and we're in, ingesting all of that data, the correlation of that data from what we might say is only fraud is not turning out to be only fraud, right? You have broader visibility. And so you might see some of the tools that are used for DDoS um, a botnet or something, right? That might also be leveraged to launch ATO attacks, right? And so if you have these indicators from that, you can see that um, if they were completely separate, you, you know, you're going to miss some of that visibility. Same concept as like when fraud sits in some other corner of the organization across, than, than security does, you're not going to have that collaboration that you need to, to combat the threat. You know, like again, you, you mentioned all the different ways now that, that retailers serve their customers um, and even smaller organizations, smaller retailers, also have to do those things, but they might not have the resources as a target might. Do you have any advice for a, a smaller company that wants to get involved in this? Yeah, start with that first area of focus. And, you know, a lot of the, the help of the RHI SAC, you know, people share information. People are sharing trends that could be out there in regards to how threat actors are operating. So take that information back to your organization and build out what we call a kill chain. And so that's, a, once again, applying your traditional cybercrime to fraud and map out, okay, if I was a threat actor hitting a specific my organization or a specific process within my guest flow, 
How would they be able to bypass the controls that we might have in place? And really visualizing in that kill chain flow is going to help you as one analyst to say, okay, who are the business partners within the organization that I need to basically make friends with to say, hey, your system is allowing threat actors to abuse X, Y, and Z. Maybe we need to have discussion around changing that process or flow without impacting the guests. And so it, all it takes is one analyst to begin to dive into that data. And once you have that key fraud focus area, it's really going out and getting that collection. So scraping those Telegram, the Discord, the social media channels, where these threat actors are living in that ecosystem that they're they're communicating within leveraging that, pulling that in, and then applying that to your own organization. And it's a little time consuming on the front end, but once you have that pre-established collection and visibility, it'll start to flow and it'll become very clear where you need to prioritize your efforts within your own organization as well. So all this being said, we are about to enter the busiest season of the year for retailers. Uh, How is Target preparing for the holiday season? I love this question. We get get asked this every year, but you know, we don't do a lot different, right? Like we take the approach of like, let's just see as much as we can all year wrong, right? Because the way that the the fraud landscape has shifted, really the cybercrime landscape has shifted, is that they don't stop, right? So yes, they ramp up a little bit, but really for us, it's just really scrutinizing data a little bit more, right? So things that might have been a lower threshold in March and April are now going to be, hey, let's let's scrutinize this a little more. What activity is really going on here, right? So you know, take ATO, for example, um, we're probably going to start to see an increase in that. Um, actors are preparing for the holiday season, um, but that doesn't happen in December when, you know, you would think it would happen. That happens in September and October. They're trying to compromise those accounts ahead of time. So when they start to see people add credit cards or add gift cards that they get for the holiday, they already have access and can leverage that. They need to prepare too, yeah. So for us, it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of status quo, but like being more vigilant, being more um, aggressive in the approach we take at our collection efforts and the analysis that we do on the alerting that we get um, and just looking for these anomalies or, um, you know, in, in the fraud case, right? Like what are the threat actors interested in? And that can change on a weekly basis, but during the holidays, right? It's going to be gift cards. It's going to be washing gift cards or leveraging gift cards to purchasing. What are the hot items, right? That sell really great around the holiday. Um, and how are they trying to hide in the mix of the heavy volume of traffic, right? right that comes to our organization during the holiday season. Um, and they're trying to kind of fly below the radar. So those are really the things that we're focusing on to, to get ahead of the holiday. And part of Intel collection on that is knowing what items are being launched across the industry. So whether it be like the hot commodity items for the resale value, so getting ahead of what those trends could look like to pre-establish that um, that visibility internally can help mitigate it before it becomes a fire drill during the busiest season. Excellent. Leah, Ryan, thank you very much, both of you from Target's terrific CTI team. Amazing. Thank you very much for joining us on the RHSAC podcast. Luke Vanderlinden is host of the RHISAC podcast, which you can hear right here on the CyberWire Podcast Network. Do check it out. It is a show worth your time. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. 
Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.